Uh, welcome to Cat the Conversations. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today I'm going to be talking with my friend Colton Marks. And uh, whenever this airs, the uh, he will be days away, just days away from entering with the Carmelites and Pennsylvania. So uh, we're going to be talking about his vocation a little bit. We're going to be talking about Carmelite spirituality. We're going to talk about prayer and the mystical and ascetical life, uh, what people get wrong about vocations, what people get wrong about spirituality, and where can we go right. So all that and more coming up on this episode. Uh, but before we get started, I have to, uh, I'm obliged by the YouTube overlords to say, uh, hit the like button, hit subscribe. <laughs> what is the other ones? Um, bell uh, notification. Comment. And, and comment down below. Uh, I will promise to uh, to respond to your comments. Now the popular so thing is donate to my Patreon. That's a oh well, I don't have a Patreon, so there's nowhere to donate to me. So don't donate to me. If someone asks for money, it's not me. It's a uh, scam. It's a scam. But good morning to you, Colton. Good morning, Adrian. How are you? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. It's good to be alive. Should I stand up? Or no, you can sit. Would that you, throw you, off the camera? And you can do whatever you'd like. If oh, you want to okay. sit, you can sit. You can stand. You can stand. Can I change my position throughout? Uh, sure, if you want. All right, Colton, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, let's start with the, uh, I don't want to start from the very beginning, but I kind of just want a, a f- quick fire, 45 second to a minute long explanation of your childhood up to the uh, point where you go to college. Wow. Um, so I grew up in a small town right outside of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, called Gonzales, Louisiana. I went to St. John, um, elementary school and St. Teresa Middle School, uh, named after St. Teresa of Avila, which I think she has had a hand from the beginning in my life and my vocation and whatnot. But I started serving Mass when I was like, when I was in the first grade, as soon as I received First Holy Communion. And by the third time I was serving, I was the cross bearer, which was a huge deal in that time, especially because I was like four feet tall. And so to carry the cross (laughs) was a huge thing. And then I had to also bear the book so my fingers were covering the words, and the priest made a comment <laughs> to the congregation about it. But um, I was involved in those sorts of matters as early as you know the first grade and kept doing that. And the second I could start going to youth group at my local parish, I, I went in the sixth grade and then eventually moved to Texas where I was you know stayed involved with it. But from a young age, I had this um, desire to be active in the the things of the church and the things of God. And so then I went to Strake Jesuit uh, College Preparatory in Houston, arrival of Adrian St. Thomas. That's right. Um, which is a Jesuit high school. And there I was able to participate even further in, you know, the spiritual life and learn about prayer. Um, and then at this time in my life, I started to really sense some sort of um, greater ideal as far as sanctity and holiness and the pursuit of God is concerned. And so I was um, kneeling in adoration at our freshman retreat, and I was like, you know, I want to give God everything. That was kind of like the the primary sentiment on my heart. I was like, I just want to give God everything. Um, and so I just kind of continued to foster that, obviously with many obstacles along the way of, you know, growing up and whatnot. But I've, I've just tried to foster that all the way along and um, then I went to St. Louis University, where um, I studied art history and philosophy, spent a lot of time at the local oratory setting up for Mass. So as a local sacristan. oratory, that would be uh, what exactly? 
Well, so the, the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine is a, was an oratory established by Cardinal Burke in 2007, right after Samora Pontificum, for the celebration of the sacraments according to the extraordinary form, um, where I was able, I was um, asked by Monsignor Morris my junior year of college to uh, be, the, be a sacristan, so full-time, um, I was essentially at the church, you know, every day of the week, setting up for mass, doing anything he needed me to do. And so just being around the church, having a key to the church, um, and just having access to our Lord and the Blessed Sacrament, and just being around the mass every day and whatnot, really um, allowed the most intense growth in my spiritual maturation, of which the point before, you know, I was involved um, serving at the Cathedral Basilica in St. Louis, which is this really grand, beautiful church, probably one of one of the churches in America that can really rival a European church. And then I was also the sacristan for like six months at the old cathedral in St. Louis. Uh, then went home from COVID, had a very intense um, desire for prayer and mm-hmm. the spiritual life when I went home from COVID, came back, became Monsignor Sacristan. So there was just this huge convergence of things that really um, I started to not only desire prayer more intensely, but to desire prayer alone this union with God. Yeah, and so I want to talk about that a little bit, the idea of prayer, and especially in regards to um, the liturgy, the the Mass, because uh, you, did, did you, you did not grow up going to the traditional Latin Mass. I did not. In fact, uh, and then both of our high schools, St. Thomas, St. Jesuit, uh, neither of them do the traditional Mass, um, mm-hmm. and both of us found the traditional Mass fairly late in our uh our, I guess, late in our lives in, in comparison to where we are today. Correct. Because um, both of us are fairly young. But the, uh, so tell me about the, uh, your relationship to the Mass. So um, as early as college, having Mass on campus every day, uh, wasn't, it, wasn't the tr- it wasn't the traditional Mass, but we had Mass on campus every single day. And... Um, I was going to daily mass to some degree my freshman year of high school, but then as I had to start driving myself, that became more difficult to uh, get to. But so from from kind of that age on, especially when I got to college and I was able to go every day, I started taking a far more, um, I was far more personally invested in the Holy Liturgy, especially serving it. So from a very young age, I mean, I was very... Um, in love with serving Holy Mass. Hmm. And actually, with all the energy I had as a kid, my mom actually told me the other day that it was so bad with me as a kid. Like, even when I was in the first and second grade, she'd have to keep me in the cry room, not because I'd be screaming, but because I couldn't stop myself from running around. I couldn't sit yeah. still. It's funny. I was the same way. <laughs> yeah. So, and when I'd sit still, I'd fall asleep, but I couldn't sit still at Mass specifically until I started serving. Um, then I had something to do to occupy m- myself. And so, um, I always had kind of a great love for serving the priest and serving at the altar. Um, and even my, mo- my mom pulled up this uh, picture I had drawn from when I was in like the first grade. And it's me in a, uh, in a surplice holding up a crucifix. <laughs> yeah. And so she showed that to me the other day because they're clearing out some stuff in the house. And like uh, it, was, it, was, it was cool that that was something I had conceived of mm-hmm. drawing that young. But anyway. Um, so then I've had, you know, a, a love for the Holy Mass, specifically serving Holy Mass since, since a young age. Then when I got to college, I became a lot more personally invested in it. 
and then it became my life in sort of a way as being a as being a sacristan at these two parishes. Um, and so I, I loved Holy Mass, and it was the center of my life. The difficulty was at, that outside of that, uh, my interior life was lacking. Mm-hmm. So as far as like mental prayer and rosaries and this, that, and the other, um, as far as pr- continuing that life of prayer, continuing that life of oblation and sacrifice that really is supposed to be the continuation of the participation mm-hmm. in the Holy Mass that we're supposed to do throughout the day. Yeah, so I'm going to stop you there for a second and uh, talk a little bit about that because, you know, my... I was thinking about myself and my journey through to the traditional mass and my journey and just growing in holiness and and prayer. And, you know, when I was younger, the I was all into the live teen movement. I was all into all those kind of things. And I didn't even know that silence existed at adoration. Yeah. I thought you were yeah. required to have praise and worship music at adoration because I yeah. just never experienced otherwise. And so the um, it wasn't until I was like, a freshman in college because my, my mom grew up uh had us praying the rosary and things like that but i hated it in fact i would scammed her into letting me uh pray the divine mercy chaplet instead of the rosary because it, it was shorter because i could do it in five minutes uh and the uh, and she was like fine at least he's praying <laughs> and so she uh, let me do that but um in college i started praying the rosary and that was really the beginning of me learning about mental prayer and um, prayer that's that's more contemplative. Can you uh, explain to me how would you define mental prayer and tell me about your journey with trying to develop a more serious spiritual life? Yeah, so that so that ties into my experience of the traditional mass was that um, when I, I started attending the traditional mass my sophomore year of college, um, and like I said, the Holy Mass was the center of my life, but my, my spiritual life outside of that, um, I loved God and doing things for God, but as far as like cultivating interior devotion, it was, it was lacking. Until I started going to the traditional Mass, and then I started to actually sit in silence um, and cultivate a deep and sincere love for God in the silence of the heart. Um, and then eventually that just turned into... Um, a greater love for prayer, and then when you start praying outside of Mass, your day just becomes like a continuation of Holy Mass. And so what what originally started off was I was praying the rosary a lot, um, and praying the rosary, contemplating the mysteries, reading the scriptures associated with the mysteries, um, and primarily um, mental prayer has always been difficult, for me, because I fall asleep really easily. Like I said, I have all this energy until I sit down and then I fall asleep. Um, but I knew mental prayer was important, but specifically through the traditional mass and sitting in this silence, I knew that cultivating love for our Lord in silence was important because um, John of the Cross is this quote that uh, God has already spoken the one necessary word of his son, Christ, and so there are no other words that are needed. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty deep. It's a pretty deep thing to contemplate. And so really like, um, and God is actually generous enough to us to while we are speaking and doing other things with our day, you know, he just kind of sits silently waiting for us to come back to him. But it was this continual recourse to our Lord and specifically our lady in prayer. Um, but primarily as far as the development of mental prayer in the interior life, it was attending the traditional mass because of its contemplative spirit. Um, and then also 
praying the rosary, which those are formal things, but also just a more continual recollection of God throughout the day. So I mm. remember explicitly, like, I think it was my junior year of um, college, I just I just stuck with a prayer, which happened to be the Hail Mary, uh, and I would try to pray that as frequently as I could throughout the day. Mm. So anytime my, my mind was void, and obviously this came with a lot of, you know, foibles and failings on my part, but... Um, Anytime throughout the day that I could step away from something, like that would be the thing that I would want to ring in my head. And why I'm saying all of this is actually what I learned about mental prayer in the interior life is obviously like the 15 minutes a day is really important and necessary. But it's kind of like the Holy Mass is your life out or your, your, um, the spiritual rewards and benefits of Holy Mass are only subjectively. Um, to each individual person as effective as your dispositions. And part of your dispositions are living in this continual life of prayer and adoration of God, which um, has to be cultivated. And you have to you have to fight for it. I mean, it's hard to uh, take your mind off of whatever you're doing and pray the Hail Mary or to have some sort of holy thought or saying in your head. But what, what happens is when you start to practice that over and over again, you cultivate the spirit of prayer to where it becomes instinctual. So then it's just like second nature and you're like, you're just like, you know, picking up groceries, or you're like doing schoolwork and all of a sudden like you, these, these holy thoughts and these holy words will come through your head. Yeah, let me, let me, let me talk, let's talk about for a second the uh, erroneous views of prayer because, you know, I mean, when I was trying to learn how to pray, it was very difficult for me because I would talk to priests. I would talk to uh, people who were supposedly very, very holy, very prayerful, and they would talk and it just wouldn't make sense to me. They would try to explain to me prayer and I'm like, I just can't do that. And they yeah. would say things like, oh, well, you know, it's just, it's just talking to God. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And so I go in adoration I'd sit there in adoration and I'm trying and I'm like, and I'm talking to God, and I sit there in silence, and I'm like, "All right, God, what you got for me? Let me know what's up. Give me the give me the lowdown." Yeah. And I would never hear anything. I wouldn't hear anything. Um, they're like, "Oh, well, you're, you have to listen to the interior moving of the hearts." It's like, what does uh, that even mean? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm "Like, what does that even mean? Where is that?" It's like, "I'm trying." <laughs> yeah. So okay. So and then, so I was and then so I started reading the spiritual masters, and I'm like blown away by this. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, the erroneous views of prayer. And, and obviously you have the really erroneous views of prayer, which is like, oh, empty your mind. And then, then it's like pseudo Buddhist um, ideas of meditation, which is not Christian meditation. But tell me erroneous views of prayer and what what's the right way to do it? If someone's like, okay, I want to learn how to pray well, teach me how to pray. Yeah. One, one of the things that's interesting is I was thinking recently about in our modern day, most a lot of the time it's because our lives are so noisy and not quiet. A lot of a lot of people are like, "Yeah, I just want to go on a run to clear my mind, or I just want to do this to clear my mind." Like this is where I go to clear my mind and have my space. Like some people, you know, work in the yard, or some people garden, and all this kind of stuff. And what's what's funny about the statement "I want to clear my mind" is, um, it's like, what do you clear in your mind for? Like, some people clear their mind to exist in this reality of nothing. I mean, this this kind of Buddhist notion of nothingness. The issue is that 
if you empty your mind, something's got to go there. Like you, you can't just totally empty your mind and become void of self. Um, you have to fill it with something. Mm. The issue is if you wait too long, Satan will start feeling, filling your mind with stuff um, or just your human weakness will. Mm. So if you're going to empty your mind, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. And actually, we're supposed to work and labor and whatnot. So it's like, you want to go for a run, that's fine. But instead of just like clearing your head of all thoughts, like think of God, recommend, you know, recommend what you're doing to God and whatnot. But um, yeah, there is this issue of prayer has almost become, everyone wants prayer to be simple. They want it to be the simple thing. I just want to go in there and look at Christ. The little way. It's the little way, right? yeah. It, the difficulty is that um, the the laboring in the vineyard that's required for that simplicity of soul is lacking um, in 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 the Christian. It takes life work today. to be simple. Correct. The the yes to get to that point. And so you read Teresa of Avila, and she's got the analogy of the the watering, um, and she describes this kind of first stage of prayer. Um, this first period of the spiritual life, it, the the purgative way is what it's listed as by m- you know, most spiritual writers. But she lists this purgative way, and she talks about like that's the that's the um, the gardener watering his garden. Um, actually, no, it's the pulling from the well. Actually, so it's like pulling from the well to get the water. It's work. Um, and so this laboring in the Lord's vineyard in the early days of prayer can't just be this nothingness of you sitting there. Hmm. Um, it has to be, and primarily this is revolving around this notion of like specific blocked out prayer every day. Hmm. So you've got your formal practices like your rosary and your whatnot, but you have to have that space every day for your prayers of the heart. This so before you go prayer. forward, I, as an analogy, I'm thinking of like, you think of the master worksman, the master craftsman who's uh, building a, a shelf or something, and if I was to build a shelf, it would be very laborious, it would turn out awful, yeah. it would be it would not be good because I don't know what I'm doing, and it would take me twice the amount of time to do, or ten times the amount of time to do, where you see the master craftsman doing the exact same thing, and he does it, and it looks simple, it looks easy, but he didn't get that way just by... He just did it once, and he was like, oop, I simply made this thing. It took uh, years and years of honing the skill where yeah. he makes the task of building a shelf look simple. Yeah, this is this is the interesting thing is that, like, you know, we apply so much time and effort and ages and generations to, like, perfecting things. I mean, LeBron James is the greatest athlete in the world, Allegedly. and it's like he did not become the greatest athlete in the world – by doing nothing. Right. He had to work for it. And now it's like, I mean, it looks so smooth and simple and whatnot, but that's not how it was always. And even now he still has to work for it. But in 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 the same kind of analogy can be applied to the supernatural life, is that at some points you can only go so far because of the grace that's provided to you by God. So there is the limit to that, just like in some ways there's a physical limit to what an NBA athlete can do. Like, not everyone can become LeBron James. Not everyone will become Teresa of Avila with all these mystical abilities. However, the early stages of the spiritual life, which is where most people are, um, is this purgative way of, and this has been lined out as far as the practice of it. Some spiritual traditions are more strict on it than others. The Jesuits have the, the most formal of it. The Franciscans probably have the least formal concept of it. Um, 
because they have this kind of line that formality kills intimacy. But at, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you just do nothing. Mm. So the Carmelites have um, this way of looking at it of really, and this is kind of the general consensus just in different forms of expression, of the prayer is union with God. Prayer is this you know, heart-to-heart encounter with Christ. In the early stages of the spiritual life, that's primarily through the exercising of the faculties. So we have the higher faculties and the lower faculties of the soul. You've got the, you know, the will and the intellect as the higher faculties, and then the memory and the imagination as the lower faculties. Um, and so you have to you, you have to exercise yourself in these faculties. You know, you have to you have to work in the in the Lord's vineyard of prayer and grace and whatnot to grow in intimacy with him because that's really what prayer is 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 spending time in intimacy with christ and so ultimately like how this looks on a practical level is you block out you know 15 minutes a day or you know and and as you progress maybe you can make that more but there's actually um the the father of catherine drexel you know saint catherine drexel he was a wealthy banker who was worth like millions and millions of dollars and, um, you know, a long time ago. So that was a lot of money. And he would do 30 minutes of mental prayer every single day. Wow. Yeah. So he'd do 30 minutes of mental prayer every single day at the beginning of the day. The the, the point being is that um, what happens is you, you do I mean, well, this. Well, people like block out like their yoga time. Like I need my 30 minutes yeah. of yoga or I need my, my 30 minutes of, uh, of yeah. what do they call it? Not meditation. Medita- like, uh, yeah, the like, like, journaling yeah. or meditation. So, I mean, if you can, people can block out time for their quote unquote mental health um, even more so because the word mental, I mean, we're talking about we're, whenever people say mental, they don't really know what they mean. What they mean is the soul. Yeah, and then so instead of doing mental health, they need to have the health of the soul. And I'll let you continue. Yeah. yeah, it's this. Uh, the secular world actually has a pretty, you know, disciplined understanding of this. Like you've got people that will journal and meditate every day. Mm-hmm. What they're meditating on, I mean, they're really just like thinking about their life and whatnot. But you've got meditative people. The difficult or the beautiful thing is that when you join this to grace, I mean, there's this explosion yeah, of the right love in the soul. Yeah, so. Where this kind of comes to its head is like the beginning ages of the spiritual life um, are meditations upon the mysteries of the faith. So say you've got the scriptures and Teresa was very emphatic upon you need a book. And Mm. Teresa of Avila said she could not pray without a book for 10, 15 years. Christ had to become literally a living book for her. Wow. Um, That was what he told 10, 15 years. Yeah, I think it was like 10 years she said she needed a book. And it wasn't even like she might not have even looked at the book, but she needed it next to her at least. Meaning that you need, and various people have various abilities and talents in this regard. Um, She was kind of on the the lower end of talent as regard to the imagination and the Mm. intellect. So she needed a book. I'm assuming a temperament matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But part of it is you take subject matter. So whether that's prior holy thoughts you've had, or that's stuff you're reading actively in the scriptures or having a book with you. You know, you're taking that, um, you're taking subject matter, you're thinking about it. It's, it's kind of like the cow chewing grass. Mm-hmm. You're just slowly kind of, you know, um, chewing, you know, um, you know, soaking in the mystery, thinking about it with your mind, uh, not just in an abstract way, but in a very real and practical way. 
And part of the importance, or part of the thing that's crucial to this is recognizing that Christ is within your soul. Mm-hmm. So if you're a soul in the state of grace, which this is, this is something that Teresa of Avila was so freaked out about because she was searching everywhere for God, similar to St. Augustine, and then soon realized that he was in the depths of her. And this is a very real interiorization. It's not just like, and it's, it's kind of localized, um, and some theologians have tried to explore like where that may be. But anyway, the point is, is that the fundamental principle is that Christ is actually dwelling within you. And so you are trying to seek him interiorly hmm. through thinking, because in these stages where we're not like contemplative, contemplatively gifted yet, we haven't warranted the grace for it, in these early stages, we have to think upon Christ and his mysteries and come to the realization that he's in our soul. So you use the memory or the imagination or some sort of subject matter of a book or whatnot. You use the intellect to um, chew on the grass, you know, to think over Christ. And then it ends in res- or it ends in acts of the will, acts of the affections. So this is kind of where the, the private conversatio or the, um, the colloquy, as spiritual writers call it, this conversation with Christ, this intimate sharing of love with Christ, where, where you're telling Christ you love him, you're listening and whatnot. Um, and this listening isn't just sitting there idle, because actually the spiritual writers say that in um, absence of any sort of, you know, kind of movement from God, you are to be talking to God or reading mm. something or whatnot. You're not just to remain there idle. But anyway, so you're making acts of the will you know, telling God how much you love him. And these things are very intimate and can be very simple and not to be overcomplicated, but they have to be done, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's supposed to be the result of these, these intellectual movements. And you don't have to be some crazy intellectual. It can literally just be repeating a psalm verse over and over again and asking God for the grace for further understanding. Mm-hmm. And God might not even grace you with that. But part of it is the continual placing yourself in the presence of God who dwells in your soul every day. God will reward you. And I'll tell you right now, a lot of the times in mental prayer, I fall asleep. Yeah. Like I said earlier, if I'm not Episode doing something, I'm, I sleep. Yeah. So it's like sometimes you, you do, you know, your napsio, where in, <laughs> you know, instead of actually doing something, you're, you fall asleep. And it's like Therese talks about this all the time. She'd fall asleep all the time. I actually would like to have an actual number of how many times she'd fall asleep, but that's not in her story of a soul. She would talk about falling asleep all the time. The, the, the important part, though, is the act of the will of you've said for this block every single day, regardless of whether I fall asleep or you know something crazy happens, I'm going to do it. It's that act of the will that God will grace. And so just trying to think of him, the graces of your prayer don't have to occur during your prayer. God might actually leave you totally dry, and five years from now, you'll receive like those kind of holy thoughts. But Mm -hmm. I find myself all the time, like I'll have kind of like a lazy mental prayer, I won't be as on top of it or whatnot, because it's not about you. It's about the graces that are being infused. It's not into the soul. about you. It's not about you. I That's love the that. crazy thing. Yeah. Because even though what is it? This, what is it? The saying? It's like um, this. The saying is like I forget how it goes. Something along the lines of humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. You're thinking more of God. Yeah. Now, this is this is an important point because the secular world has erroneously, you know, kind of um, forgotten or neglected um, their soul the fact that their soul is a living tabernacle of the Holy Trinity. Mm. Um, and that's because, you know, 
of sin and the blindness of sin and all this kind of stuff. The problem is, it's like when you remove this presence of God, then it becomes all about yourself. Yeah. So prayer isn't some egocentric, like, I'm just going to sit off by myself and meditate and no one bother me and no one look at me and no one talk to me. Um, no, prayer is this finding Christ within you. Yeah, that's really important because I was reading The Mystical Evolution by Father Arantero. Aaron, Aaron I never know how to say his name. Father John Arantero, Dominican priest. And I was reading his Mystical Evolution, and the first section of the book is the, this first, like, it's just, it's almost a treatise in and of itself, is before he even gets into anything about the spiritual life, about how to do the spiritual life, about the purgative way, about practices, before he gets into any of that, he talks about divinization, about theosis, of yeah. how our Lord has desired that we not only just not only become like God, but become gods yeah. um, in a lowercase g kind of way. In a in the fact that of the adopted son of God, it's an it's an amazing idea because he he goes on about recognizing the indwelling of not just the Holy Ghost; it is the Holy Ghost, but the the Trinity is within you. And when you think about that, and I was reading alongside at the same time, I was reading the um, the book on Our Lady, the not the Marian vow, the other one. Um, what is the name of the book? By Union by Union of Mary. Union oh, of Mary. by Emil Neubert. That's exactly the one. And he was talking about that like, if we recognize the Holy Trinity within our soul, like there are reasons, like whenever we can, whenever we, whenever we commit sin. There is, it's legitimate to be to fearful of God, to be fearful of hell, to have these other desires, but to recognize that you have the indwelling of the Trinity within you. And that is not just some platitude, it's a, it's a reality. Yeah. And when you think about that, before you commit any sin, if you think about that, that would be, it's, it's such a motivation for you to be, to abandon your sin, to recognize that when you commit a mortal sin, the Holy Trinity flees from your soul, yeah, and you are and you are dead. You are not, and like we say, like oh, you're spiritually dead, and people are like, oh yeah, you're spiritually dead. But think about that for a second. You had life itself dwelling within you, and He left you. Your soul's dead. your soul is dead. Now the most fascinating point about that, and then I'll segue that into the to the end of the act of mental prayer. But what's beautiful, what what's what's even more extremely mysterious but but abundantly more beautiful is that actually God is the preservation of your soul. So we, we know God created us, we thank God for creating us, and we thank God for redeeming us, but we, f- we forget that every moment of every day of our lives were preserved by God. Mm. That's something we should continually be thanking God for is the preservation of our lives, especially those in mortal sin. I mean, it's like you commit a mortal sin, I mean, you'd go to hell if you died at that moment, and God can actually cause that to happen at any given time. Yeah. Who was the saint? It was St. Leonard of Port Maurice, I think, who said like, um, there are, no, no, St. Alphonse Liguori said there are a certain amount of moral sins that God has allowed for you. Yeah. You can't know it, but there are a certain amount, and at that point, God's just going to take you. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a, uh, something, that comment that comes from Augustine. But the point is, is that, so God has created and sustained your soul, and that's only because he exists within it because of the divine indwelling. The difficulty is that if he were to remove himself from the soul, the soul would not exist at all. It would be annihilated. So even one in the state of mortal sin, though charity has completely left the soul, God still has to, God is still the preservation of the soul. Mm. So God is still there in some way or another. 
Um, and I, I wish I would have brushed up on the actual technical theo- theology of this. But the point being is that God is still preserving your soul. Mm. So even then, there is no, you know, obviously, actually, they do, the spiritual writers do talk about, you have not lost hope. Hope is still there for the person in mortal sin. Charity's gone. Faith, to some degree, if not all degree, is gone. Hope is not, because there's still that hope is God has preserved you, and God is continually preserving you in existence. Because if he took himself out of your soul, you would no longer exist. Your soul would be annihilated, actually. Um, And so we don't believe in the divine annihilation. God would never annihilate the soul, because the soul is infinitely good. And so he... Though the soul has, you know, obstinately said, I hate you, God, God still preserves it. Wow. And so there's never that loss of hope, and that, that's all the more reason to pray and do penance for us poor sinners, you know, on this, on this earth as we walk through the Valley of Tears. But this brings us into kind of the, the fulfillment of mental prayer, especially in the early stages of mental prayer, which most, most people are in, um, this understanding of the resolutions and the practice of virtue. Because um, there's another issue of, you know, many times when the spiritual life is talked about, virtue isn't even talked about. Mm-hmm. And virtues are extremely important, and virtues come with their requisite acts. And we should always be making acts of faith, hope, Because doing charity. good things doesn't make you virtuous. It's Correct. the repetitive nature of doing the good thing. Correct. The habitual good, but then also the good infused with grace. Because mm. there's natural virtues. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that are naturally virtuous, um, but as far as but but the, you know they're they're not in the state of grace. They don't have a sacramental life. You know, a lot of people in the secular world are very generous with their money and their time and this that and the other, and they're virtuous in that way and they're good. But they don't have grace within their soul. So it's like like a lot of people say, well, why don't good people make it to heaven? Like, why do you have to be in the church and all this kind of stuff? It's like, well, because you need. You can't just be a good person to be saved. You have to have Christ within you. And to have Christ within you, you have to have a sacramental life mm-hmm. or at least some understanding of it. I mean, you can have, you know, baptism by desire or baptism by blood or whatnot. But um, you, you have to... So going back to this um, resolution of virtue, after you've made these affections of the will, you know, you've, you've dived deeper into the mystery of Christ and then you've made these affections of the will, you know, your love of God is increased because of these, you know, pious reflections you've made, um, and or and God's graced you with these because you wouldn't have them without his grace. Now you have to make resolutions, and even if God's left you dry and arid, you still need to make resolution. You know, I resolve today to not speak poorly of someone, or I resolve today to not spend as much time on my phone or to be more recollected in prayer. One of my dearest, beloved Saints, Luis de Puente, if you read his life, he's continually making this like firm resolution that any time he is not um, kind of consumed in some other occupation or taken away in some other occupation of his day, because he was a Jesuit, so he had many things to tend to throughout the day, he would spend time in prayer. So at the end of his life, it was actually said of him that he spent more time in front of the Blessed Sacrament than anywhere else in his entire life. Wow. Because he would spend any moment of the day free from any, you know, office of his in prayer. Mm. Um, and I mean, that is an extremely beautiful resolution to have of like, you know, God, I'm not going 
to go immediately to a YouTube video, or I'm not immediately going to go to the next thing. I'm going to kneel down for five minutes and, you know, offer some divine praises. This is why the office is such a beautiful practice, or the, even the rosary or the three Hail Marys or whatever. It's just continually making prayer part of your day. And what you'll notice is that when you start taking time out to like a formal chunk of time out each day, and this could actually be prayed through the rosary, because Teresa of Avila doesn't really buy into this whole like there's vocal prayer and then there's mental prayer, because she believes that any prayer made um, in understanding of who you're praying to and recollection of who you're praying to and awareness of his presence, like any prayer sincerely offered to the divine master to whom you pray um, is, is, a, is a mental prayer. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an exercise of the intellect unto God. And so even looking at a pious image, just looking at a pious image and, you know, adoring our Lord and his sacred humanity, who Teresa of Avila was greatly devoted to, she says those who lose the sacred humanity of Christ lose um, Christ himself. Because there's also this erroneous opinion of the the super contemplative, where there's all these like super contemplatives out there that are like, oh, well, I just like I just think of the divinity in my soul. Like, I just think of the divinity, and then like I have these high contemplations, and they're like, you don't need. At some point, you'll grow past Christ's sacred humanity. Mm. You know, his wounds, his body that was crucified, and you just think of God in his pure essence. Sounds like you know. You know, um, sounds lofty. Yeah, sounds lofty. Sounds sounds like some of these you know modern concepts of religion. Yeah. yeah, like these people that just want to just want to think of God in His pure essence. But then you forget that God became incarnate for us. Um, and so Teresa says that even in the seventh, sixth, and seventh mansions, I mean, we're talking about full union with Christ. Like one has to remember the sacred humanity because hmm. sacred the sacred humanity of Christ was never separated from Almighty God. I mean, Christ continually in his incarnate body experienced the beatific vision and union with Almighty God. He was never separated from the, the Trini- Trinitarian life. And so um, to think continuously on the sacred humanity and whatnot, but this has to be exercised in resolve. I mean, you have to have resolution to hate sin and love Christ. If you're growing in love of Christ, you you will grow in hatred of sin. So that has to be kind of articulated and obviously we make resolutions and we fail at them and then we go to confession and we confess our sins or we confess them with a simple confidior or you know just even you know the beating of the chest or just saying I am sorry God but part of doing this formal act of prayer never to make it too formalized is to lose the heart in it all but making this formal act of prayer each day um, and then you know that will bring the graces into your life, as well as a regular sacramental life, which is mm. direct direct encounter with Christ through the ordinary means of the sacraments, confession specifically, and the Holy Eucharist in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Experiencing these things every day and then trying to, you will receive the graces to become more aware and present of God to the point where your life will become a continual prayer, as Paul says. You know, it's interesting, uh, there's like a dozen places we can go with that, but I want to transition a little bit to talking about vocations, but a brief thing about what you're saying there. It's interesting to me to think about the idea of mental prayer and that most people don't realize 
that these things are attainable yeah. in our lives. We kind of think that these things are for the saints. Now, there are, like you were mentioning earlier, there are there's a degree of holiness to which we can reach um, that God has given us the grace to achieve that uh, sometimes, like, we're never going to be Teresa of Avila, given, assuming, I mean, maybe you, particular person who's listening, might have that grace. But in general, most people will not be Teresa of Avila. Um, and most people will not encounter the dark night of the soul. That's the other thing. People uh, often... <laughs> Just I because hear, you're arid in yes, prayer does not mean you've attained yes, the dark night, people. The, the, yes, people have um, have a... I think that they every time that they feel as if they have... Um, desolation and prayer that they are in the dark night of the soul but that's like that's like advanced level (laughs) you gotta go through the dark night of the senses first right (laughs) you're a little little couple steps removed but there is this universal call to holiness of actually all christians Mm -hmm. are called to objectively the perfection of charity within their soul Mm -hmm. some people attain that further or less but you regardless of your state in life, you have to pursue that to its degree. Mm-hmm. Now, the degree you can be that, the perfect that you're able to be. Correct. Now, or at least actively pursuing it in goodwill. Mm-hmm. You might never get there, but it lo- as long as you're actively pursuing the perfection of charity in your soul, according to your state in life, you know, a life of prayer, a life of the sacraments, specifically confession and Holy Communion, but just a sacramental life and a life of prayer, you know, it's like that's what you're called to. And this actually... Um, leads one to the universal call of holiness, which is not just like you should be a lector at mass every every <laughs> weekend. You know, it's like it's not just that. It's more of a mystical participation in the divine life of Christ that we've all been called to, and that mystical participation can happens very intensely within Holy Mother Church. That mm. is where this mystical um, experience occurs and this participation in the divine life of Christ. And by mystical participation, I just mean the life of grace within the soul, but that will actually elevate you unto what is called infused contemplation. Now, all the technical theology I do not have on the top of my head right now, but um, we just spoke about meditation, Mm -hmm. making that meditative, that purgative way. You're purging yourself of your sin and whatnot. Then you will move into this kind of prayer of simple regard, which is one step below the prayer of quiet, as Teresa of Avila articulates it, or maybe it's the other way around. But this prayer of simple regard is basically like, so in mental prayer in the early stages, you're like thinking point, 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 like you have all these th- thoughts about, you know, this divine mystery. Mm. Um, the prayer of simple regard is like you simply regard one point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, the prayer of quiet is, uh, how much do I want to say without having refreshed? The prayer of quiet, (laughs) more or less, is like the stage before contemplation. Mm -hmm. Um, But the point being, contemplation has its very stages too, Mm -hmm. but it starts around Mansion 4. Teresa starts to talk about this idea of contemplation, so 4 through 7, being the infusion of grace um, within the soul, so um, or the infusion of prayer within the soul from God. So it's not... It's not you simply making this act of the intellect and will um, and then resolutions. It's it's more of God is the primary actor in prayer. He's drawing you into his heart very intimately. And that that is a that is a level of the spiritual life that all people are called to. Um, that's this universal call of holiness, as it's traditionally explained. All people are called to 
Teresa of Avila even says very few people actually reach it because they hold themselves back. Wow. Um, but part of it is actually, you know, Balthazar Alvarez, who Teresa of Avila regarded with the highest of love, and she said he attained the highest sanctity of anyone on earth at that time. She had a vision of him ascending into heavenly glory. Wow. He wrote a testimony of himself. Now, he was a very intense, holy religious, mind that. He used the same form and method of prayer, this meditative um, stage that we went through of um, the intellect, the, the will, and then resolutions. He did that same thing for 16 years, very intensely. He did that for 16 years before God called him into wow. more intimate converse with him. The point of that being is that we have to strive for this holiness. We have to strive for this perfection. We can't just say, okay, I've done this for three months, Lord. Now give me some contemplation. Like I want to mm-hmm. start experiencing mystical heights. It's like, no, I mean, this was one of the holiest men to ever walk the face of the earth, Balthazar Alvarez. Um, it took him 16 years to get to that point of intense working in the vineyard in religious life. Mm. Now, part of this is also God will grant you this grace. So part of it's his will and his timing, but it's, it's something to be said of even the saints have to day in and day out live in this continual act of prayer unto God before God actually even begins to kind of what, what it's usually coined as is like more familiarly communicate with them. Yeah, I hate to uh, make a right turn, but we're gonna no. You can transition take the right turn. Was because a, a yeah, good transition no, because yeah. I mean that we we could talk about this for hours. Um, I mean, and people have, but uh, praise be to God. <laughs> yeah, read some so books, great. guys. Yeah, Spiritual read reading is very <laughs> necessary. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, what I've realized there is that reading good holy books throughout the day not only gives you more matter for your spiritual prayer, mm-hmm. um, when you do that 15 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever it is, 10 minutes a day of just like thinking upon Christ and loving him in the depths of your soul, you have to substantiate that. Mm-hmm. With the rosary, substantiate it with the spiritual reading, doing good holy spiritual reading and learning the faith, mm. not just faith in, not just apologetics. Yeah, not not just like defending the faith, like defending the Catholic faith or the Catholic Church. Like think of faith as the virtue of faith. Right. Learning about the mysteries of Christ. Mm, yes. Christ's life of the soul are these conferences from Blessed Columba Marmion that like his whole this is basically what he's doing is he's establishing. So what I want you to do is I want you to send envelope. me today uh, five, top five beginner spiritual reading books. Oh gosh! And I'm going to put them in the link in the description below so people can uh, try to start if they feel the need to. Uh, they know need to find a good place to start yeah. in spiritual reading. Yeah, because the difficulty be where is. is that you're going to go dry. Like your prayer yeah. will go dry. Mm-hmm. That's just going to happen. And doing good spiritual reading will actually help you in persevering in faith. Because once you read, you read these books, and you know they, they'll they'll help you with. You Especially know, since today we don't have good spiritual records. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was reading, I forgot who I was reading. I think it was Father John. He was saying how bad spiritual records actually cause worse. Uh, da- more more damage to you than, than having no spiritual record at all. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes, especially today, whenever like the priests are just not taught, we were talking to a priest friend of ours, and I won't mention names, but we were saying, uh, talking to him, and he's mentioning how he never learned the spiritual life. They, they just don't, they don't learn the spiritual life in the way that the traditional uh, faith right. was, yeah, was the taught. Yeah, the 
But let's move over to vocations. vocations. Let's talk a little bit about vocations. So vocations, what a mystery, my friend. What a mystery An it unnecessary is. mystery. An unnecessary mystery, Father one might Richard say. Butler says. And so, I, you know, people talk about vocation. They're like, okay, I got to discern my vocation. I got to think hard about it. I got to, uh, I'm feeling that I'm trying to meditate on the life. I'm trying to feel the movement of the spirit. I'm trying to think about these things. Well, I have Hear no idea God what I'm doing, my friend. in the deepest of my heart. I'm yeah. listening to him in the quiet breeze. What am I doing, Colton? I need to discern my vocation. Uh, what's going on? What should I do? Yeah, the the reality is... So what's funny is... So Adrian, the mystery we're referencing is this book right here called Religious Vocation and Unnecessary Mystery by Father Richard Butler, OP. Uh, you know, Order of Preachers. He's a great Thomist. But he's answering, actually, a theological controversy that's popping up as early as the early 1900s um, that has even more intensified in the day and age we're in now. And what he what he what he mentions is um, so in the early 1900s, so he's even seeing this in his own time when there's 300,000 men's religious and 800,000 women's religious in the world. Now that number's much smaller and things have only become more complicated. But what he's writing the book for is to relieve the soul of all these agonizing pains and stresses and you know, overcomplications of the pursuit of what he calls the religious vocation. Now, the religious vocation is a very constructed term. It's a very modern term, at least theologically. Um, and it really, like, you don't really see the word itself used, those two words together as a compound noun, um, in the fathers or anything like that. So he breaks it down to his essentials of um, the religious life is the living of the evangelical councils, poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, and these are written about a lot by the fathers. St. Augustine even has a comment because someone says, well, what if everyone just started living the evangelical councils? Like, what a way to end the world. Well, he goes, that doesn't sound very sound, like some people have to get married and prolong a race. He goes, well, you know, I think the uh, more souls will be saved and the kingdom of God will be hastened more quickly. So it's like... <laughs> So it's like the the point being is that the religious life is simply in its essence the um a you know state of life in which one lives and lives in the evangelical councils of faith or poverty chastity and obedience which actually have a parallel to or which actually are analogous to the theological virtues of faith open charity but the um living out of poverty chastity and obedience towards um, the perfection of charity and the soul in union with God. The contemplative religious life um, is there to remove all impediments to the perfection of charity within the soul, which is union with God, the beatific life, the blessed life, the heavenly life. That is what religious life is in its essence. It's the living of the evangelical counsels towards the perfection of union with God. You want to live in heaven. Some religious are just like, I just want to start doing that now. So it's like that's where your contemplative religious life comes mm -hmm. from. It's like you've got these people that are like, I just want to start living in heaven now, so I'm going to join holy religion. Now, that doesn't mean you have this blissful existence. The means are very purifying because basically you're saying, I don't want to go to purgatory. So you start living a purgative life now. So your religious life, especially the contemplative religious life, but all religious life lived in earnest, is a life of purgation. 
It's an uncomfortable life. It is a life that wishes to remove stain of sin in this life so that we can more perfectly, intimately, and immediately view the face of God in heaven. But Colton, you know, whenever you go, I go visit these religious communities, it seems so easy, so nice. Well, like uh, I get steak dinners. I have uh, I have poverty, but, you know, I got a nice bed, good pillows, nice clothes. Yeah. It's very comfortable. We live in a we live in a very difficult and confused age, but um, uh, but just just to the principles of vocation of like this this perfection of union with God within the soul, this beatific life. So like your means in the religious life are the cross, and your means are I mean obviously the virtues, but it's the cross. It's a life of suffering. It's a life of faith. So you're persevering in faith as intensely as possible. Because really, you've given up, by this point, material possessions. You've given up, well, and so on your point, I mean, if you see religious living lives that are not in sync with poverty, chastity, and obedience, and at least in line with, you know, kind of the foundings of their order, then you should not join them. You should join an order that, one, talks about virtue and vice, talks about the perfection of charity within the soul. I mean, an order that lives a prayerful and holy life but an order that is faithful to um, the principles of their founders mm. and primarily in living a life in accordance with their rule um, and living a life of prayer and penance, um, specifically penance. We've lost a lot of penance in the religious life. But the beautiful thing is that um, this life of perfect union with God, this life of the cross, this life of intense faith, because you've given up possessions, you've given up material possessions with poverty, You've given up, you know, physical, effective intimacy with another um, through chastity. You've given up that kind of prolonging of your race, of your of your name, of your your uh, patrimony. I mean, yourself. You want to prolong your existence. People prolong their existence through their children. That's their legacy. So you've given up any sort of legacy of family of this, that, and the other, and you've given up your own will. In renouncing it in the hands of your superiors. So you are a poor man, you're a chaste man, and you're an obedient man, and you're a dead man. Um, so you've given up all things for God, which means you, I mean, your faith and hope need, will, will just be all the more perfected and strengthened because you've said, I want to live a life totally for heaven. Mm. And you understand with the understanding that that's not going to be some blissful stroll through flowers and roses. And I'm not going to religious life to live some sort of quiet life in the wilderness or it's just not quietism. Yeah. Yeah. We're not just, we're not just trying to like live a quiet life, a peaceful existence free of the world and taxes and children and, you know, you know, uh, bottles and formula and diapers and all this kind of stuff. Like we're not, we're not trying to flee jobs and uh, money and this and the other. We're, we're seeking God. We're seeking God in the fullest, with the fullest of our being through poverty, chastity, and obedience. And that will lead to a life of intense faith, hope, and charity and the perfection of charity within the soul unto that beatific vision. So you live for that vision that you will once see, not having seen it. Hmm. You know, blessed are those who have seen but not believed with the religious that's most intensely, you know, real. Believe without seeing is what you meant. That's what I meant. The, the thing is, is that actually all are called to an intense life of charity within the soul. We've already talked about the universal call to holiness. 
these evangelical councils do not require some intense, like, God speaks to you or he comes down from him and says, I want you to become a religious. No, that's not the case. The case is that God has called all of us to live lives of radical holiness. Now, depending on our various, you know, infirmities or physical states or mental psychological states or whatnot, we might be um, subjectively not called to live the religious life. Not all people can live the religious life. But Christ has objectively invited or challenged all people. So this word called, especially in this modern age, which is what Father Butler talks about, comes with this huge sentiment of like, you have to be like mystically or divinely spoken to Mm -hmm. in somewhere. You have to hear this voice or search for something in the depths of your heart, which leads people in this agonizing search for like, well, have I heard a voice? Have I not heard a voice? I'm so confused and whatnot. It's like, really, it's an invitation or almost a daring. I like that Father Butler uses this word. It's a challenge or a dare. Christ is like, live for me alone when he, you know, encourages us to be perfect as his heavenly father is perfect. Mm. He is inviting us and challenging us intensely to pursue this angelic life, this beatific life, this life that seeks the vision of him alone. And they seek this life through faith, you know, the same vision of Christ that's in the most blessed sacrament, the same vision of Christ in heaven. However, or it's the same hum- it's the same Christ. However, one you see through faith, the other you see directly. And so it's 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 you know that that direct and that direct and immediate desire for heaven that you live for. And this is for all people. So tell me, Colton, let's get into let's get a very practical for a second. Someone goes up to you, or and we can use yourself as an example. Someone goes up to you and says, Colton, you know, I think, I think I might be called to religious life. I'm discerning vocation. What should I do? What, would you, what advice would you give them? And, or maybe you want to give an example from your life, or maybe you don't. Uh, but what would, what would you say? Well, what's funny is, like, if you go to Thomas Aquinas on this, your whole life's going to be wrecked. Cause, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Because Thomas Aquinas is, he like, says, one just of the do most, <laughs> he's one of the most fun people to read on this matter. Because Thomas Aquinas is like, well, you know, uh, even if Satan were to lead you to religious life, you should still do it. Because I think part of it is recognizing the great good. I mean, everything I've explained up to you up till this point about religious vocation it's just the greatest good imaginable for one walking in this valley of tears. Um, it is the greatest good of life of complete union with God. You don't vow yourself to another person, which is a great and beautiful thing that God has sanctified. You know, he created Eve for Adam so that they can have this intimate union of persons. However, how much more beautiful and good and intimate is it to vow yourself to God himself? Mm-hmm. I want nothing other than God. And so, um, Really, the the thing is, as Thomas Aquinas says that you know it boils down to the um, the religious proposition of sorts, like the Latin. That's what the Latin like most directly looks like, at least. But it's this uh, uh, act of the will, mm-hmm. this desire of the will. So really, like if someone if someone has this intense desire to live a life for God, um, and they have the ability to do as such within a religious institute, you know, some sort of religious order or community or whatnot. My my next thing is, is like, what are you waiting for? I mean, like, you know how good of a good it is. You know how great of a thing the religious life is. Like, what are you waiting on? Mm-hmm. So part of it is um, pursuing it further, 
part of it is the issue is that we've run into this like vocational confusion of like the married life and the religious life being equal when in reality the religious life is the highest good. Um, not that, I mean, marriage is a beautiful and sanctifying thing, but religious life is still the highest good because you've reserved yourself for God alone. Um, so part of it is actually um, looking into the religious life as far as is possible before entertaining kind of the marital state. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's actually a trap a lot of people get caught in is they start dating or they find someone they like and they're, they're like, well, I'm attracted to her and this kind of stuff or him or whatnot. And so you start dating and you're like, oh, well, I must be called to marriage. Well, it's like, sh- sure, you're going to be called to marriage or you're going to think you're called to marriage. everyone's called to marriage, naturally. Naturally, everyone is called to marriage. And the difficult thing is that if you immediately go to that which is natural, you're for- you'll forget the supernatural. Mm-hmm. It is hard when you look at an order that fasts seven months out of the year <laughs> and wakes up in the middle of the night and sleeps on straw beds and doesn't have electricity to be like, I am in love. <laughs> I mean, who, it's, 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 I mean, it's like no, no like no one on it's a like natural this, level is going like to say that. In the natural, as a comparison analogy, it's like you find this woman, she's like, don't worry, she's going to cook really bad food for you, she's going to be really annoying, it's going to be really difficult, but you, don't you worry, she's going to sanctify common, you. You have nothing in common. You know, it's like, so it's <laughs> like, you have to, the, the, supernatural, the supernatural is very hard to engage with, especially when you constantly are fighting against your members and concupiscences mm-hmm. and sins and temptations, and we live in a secular world. I mean, you got all these things that are telling you, like, don't go unto God. Mm. And in the supernatural, you have to go unto God. And yeah, you have to have grace I love St. Thomas's argument there. When he talks about this, he's like, uh, when he says, the question is, is it good to uh, to deliberate for a long time before no! you his life? He's like, no, just go, go in. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> he's like, uh, Shia LaBeouf, just do it. And he even says, Thomas Aquinas even says that those who enter without any surety of their desire or whatnot, pray for the grace. And if you pray for the grace and you use the means, so that's the important thing. You can't just like sit there and be like, God, give me the grace to be religious. And then just hope to like one day transport mm-hmm. to, to do a religious work. community. So it's like, you know, it's in some ways, I'm not saying it's like pursuing a career, but you have to, especially if you're joining a more traditional order that has lots of people trying right, to join it Madden, and they gonna... don't have the crazy infrastructure to support mm-hmm. these people. It's like, okay, I want to be a religious. It doesn't take much to say, I want to give this a try. Mm-hmm. I sincerely love God in my heart. I want intense union with him. Okay, you've got the desire. Now, it's like if you have that desire within your heart, even if it's faint or even if it's like not very well developed, it's like, I don't go to religious life as a saint. I go to religious life to become a saint. And there hasn't been anything more readily available to my mind than that reality, you know, the week before I go to Carmel in six days. So it's like, you know, that reality has been very clear to me recently because it's like there's there's a lot of things going on. You're trying to wrap up kind of stuff in the world and whatnot. And it's like there there's very little time for things. And you're like, well, this isn't the life that I'm desiring. The life that I'm desiring is the heavenly life that the the life of the religious, the life of prayer and union with God. Mm. So that's not a beauty that you're going to be encountering if you're just in the world all the time. So the thing is, is that most people have decided their mind on their vocation before even visiting a monastery. Mm. How do you know what your vocation is if you've never visited a monastery religious community? Some of you are like, well, you know, I was friends with Sister Wendy and I, I wasn't very 
you know, didn't seem like a very attractive to me. Didn't seem like a very attractive life. So it's not. It's like no, and even the the religious life is this divine mystery. You're going into the darkness in many ways because faith is illuminating. But in the early stage, I mean, faith is just this dark, just dark cloud because the light, the immense light of Christ, blinds you at first. When you start to live for Him alone, it's like this immense light of Christ, this heavenly glory, kind of blinds you. So you're thrown into this darkness of like. Yes, I am waking up in the middle of the night. I'm fasting a lot, like doing these very intense penances and, you know, austerities. And it's like, and not all religious communities are like that. Um, You can join an active community that doesn't do this and whatnot. Like there are, that's actually the one thing Thomas Aquinas does say you should deliberate on or ask for someone's opinion is is where you should go. Mm -hmm. So really, I really challenge and encourage all those who desire to radically love God to uh, more greatly entertain this reality of vocation within their souls, hmm. um, and not as like not as like this, this deep calling within my heart that I need to find a voice from God. And some people might genuinely have that, but that's very extraordinary. That's not the ordinary way in which God brings us to Him in religious life. Um, but God challenges all of us in the Gospels to live the life of the Gospels, which is in line with the religious life. And so it's like we, it, I really encourage many people to, you know. If you have this intense desire for Christ, seek it out and mm. see where it takes you. I mean, God will close and open doors here and there. Go visit some communities. Like, even if it's just like going to mass at a community every day, just to see kind of like their liturgical life or start reading up on them. And even then it's not enough. Like, you can't just read up on a religious order on an, on the internet and have your mind made up. If I did that, I would have never joined this place. Because they have like one page. <laughs> not until two. I mean, it was like... A few months ago that they finally added photos. <laughs> so like when I first found the website, they didn't even have photos of the community. I didn't even know if this place existed. Like, you know, it's like some days you'd be like, well, I, I know they exist because I'm emailing the prior and all this kind of stuff. It's like I have no sort of like record. So it's like, you know, you can't just look at a website even. Right. Like I, re- I sincerely encourage all generous youth. It really is a question of generosity of soul. And Teresa mm-hmm. Avila would say that. I mean, even our Lord realizes this is like, um, the the rich young man who comes mm. up to him and is like, I've lived all these commandments and whatnot, and Christ goes, sell all you have and follow me. And the man walks away sad. It's because he's he's lacking in this generosity. Mm. He's not he's not um, he's not ready for this perfect perfection of kind of you know these these intense callings of our Lord. Mm. Christ, right there and then, is daring him just as he dares all of us to follow me intimately. You know, in in poverty, chastity, obedience. And the guy walks away sad because he had many possessions. He had many things that, and that wasn't to say he wasn't a good holy man. He was a righteous man who had held the commandments, but he was lacking in that generosity for the fulfillment of that. And so really like all it comes down to is, are you generously willing to give yourself to God? Amen. And that comes with some practical realities of, you know, you have to have a life of prayer. You have to have a sacramental life. Like these things have to be present, but are you willing to, Die for God in many ways. Die to your desires in the world and live in him. Um, your life is hidden away with Christ and God, and it will be revealed unto his glory when he comes. That's what Paul says. So it's like, do you have an intense desire for that? And that doesn't have to be like, oh, I really feel drawn to this. You might be repugnant to it. You might be like, this sounds horrible, but I... I recognize I the recognize beauty. the great good in it. Mm-hmm. I, with faith, perceive what is such a great good. It might, I mean, your members might be reviled to it. I mean, you know, 
sleeping in a wooden hut in 20 degree weather isn't all that desirous to one who's like, I just want to be warm. Mm -hmm. But it is desirous to one who wants to give themselves generously to God. So it's like, do you generously want to give your life to God? If the answer is yes, then at that point, it's like, has God given me the grace? Because all is grace anyway. Has God given me the grace to practically live that out in a specific community or institute? If God has given you the grace to observe the life of a specific community or institute, then ask no further and pursue it. Amen. Then at that point, once you pursue it, God will open and close all these doors and he'll help your discernment in that way. But if you have a genuine desire to love God intensely within the soul, and you and, and part of part of this is not just like, you know, conjuring up some sort of sentiment in your heart. Part of it is actually exploring the intensity to which that has to be realized. So reading about the evangelical councils and what they actually entail, and then also just like recognizing the austerities and you know, the things that you sacrifice for religious life, mm-hmm. like just a just a sincere recognition of those things and kind of a um, coming to terms with them, you know, in prayer and in grace, um, that itself is, you know, kind of this willful desire. You've made an act of the will. So part of it is just pursuing it and begging the grace of God. And that's the thing is you're not going to be perfected in this immediately. So this takes years. It's like, because um, Father Butler does address the idea of the lost vocation, mm-hmm. of people do join places and then they claim they never had a vocation in the first place. It's like, well, that could be the case, or something else happened, or you know, y- y- or simply someone was lax in their religious observance. They didn't use the ordinary means. So you know, nature or grace builds upon nature, not the other way around. You use the means available to you, attend Holy Mass, pray your rosary, pray, pray, you know, pray, live a sacramental life, you know, be, you know, be obedient to your superiors, act in the virtues, faith, hope, and charity, you know, in the cardinal virtues as well. It's like live a life seeking Christ um, and beg God for the grace to have this firm resolve of the will and the willingness and the perseverance to persevere because actually perseverance is a grace that has to be given to you. That is not something that you can just brute force through. Mm. So the act of the will is something very dependent on just your own moving that God obviously showers in grace, but you, you have to make the effort. Perseverance is something that has to be given to you from God and that God's only going to work with you insofar as you're working with him. So you go to a religious institute, you know, wake, you wake up at the appointed hours, you observe all the rules of the institute, God will give you that grace to persevere. You need not worry about perseverance, but you have to be ready to experience great trials and sufferings and tribulations. And I think that's the reality. If you can come to terms with that um, and, and you still are desirous of this reality, then you have a true vocation. Let's mm. call it a vocation, but I really call it this challenge or dare of Christ to live the councils. Amen. All righty, Colton, Marks, I'd love to uh, talk to you for another hour, but you told me you have to uh, take off. So yeah, you know, it is uh, past 10 o'clock, and uh, at least whenever I, we're recording this, it's past 10 o'clock. So you got places to be, you got things to wrap up in the world. Uh, is there any last things you'd like to uh, say, any um, thing that you would recommend or uh, message you'd like to uh, leave out there for people? Um First, please pray for me as I prepare to enter Carmel because 
you know, my firm desire and resolve is to is to persevere with the fullness of my will um, and love of Christ. So I ask for your prayers, prayers for the community, the hermits of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. They're a uh, Carmelite community of the ancient observance. So they're living as contemplative hermits as the hermits would have lived on Carmel very early on. Um, some even argue back to the time of Elias. I mean, there have been people living this kind of ascetic spiritual life of prayer and fasting and penance on Mount Carmel for, um, you know, millennia time. Yeah, yeah, thousands of years. Um, the official rule of the Carmelites has been around since the 1200s, mm-hmm. but people have been living on Carmel well before that. Yeah. So it's like... Anyone who heard my uh, podcast on St. Elias or on the uh, Brown Scapular would have uh, heard the history of yeah. the Carmelite order. Yeah, and so, so it's like... So they're living the ancient observance, which also was re-kind of revived in the 1600s by Thomas of Jesus, who was a Portuguese Carmelite, who established these holy deserts. So these are not Carmelite friars, as you would see them, like, with active apostolates. Mm -hmm. These are contemplative Carmelite hermits that live their lives entirely for the glory of God and union with him through particularly contemplation um, and prayer. So they do two hours of mental prayer a day. You know, all the hours of the office are chanted in common. They observe, you know, the traditional rule and livelihood and spirit of the order in its full. Um, and they're a community that needs prayers and, you know, monetary donations and all this kind of stuff. They're the Hermits of Our Lady Mount Carmel in Fairfield, Pennsylvania, a beautiful traditional religious community that is, will do great things for the glory of God. But um, if there's one thing I can leave with you is... Just, um, I guess, the challenge of Christ and the Gospels to, well, actually, the, 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 the precept to love your Lord, your God, with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself, and love Christ and his sacred heart with the love of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart and love Our Lady with the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and in doing so, you'll attain, you know, union and happiness with them. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Colton. Thank God you. bless you. I uh, will be missing you, and I will let everybody know what your name is as soon as I find out. I'm sure you'll get a letter to your family, yeah. and somehow I'll find out yeah. what your religious name is. Uh, you'll be missed, but let us uh, keep each other. Yes, but please, please pray for me, and I'm please silly. do not do not feel yourself, you know, unworthy to to take on such a call. Christ is Christ is challenged all of us to live the councils. Don't don't hesitate or, you know, feel scared to actually pursue that in the religious life. Amen. All righty. Praise be to God. And thank you for joining us. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, well, if you have questions or comments for Colton by the time you comment, I have no chance of uh, getting it to him. So sorry about that. But if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for me, you can leave it down in a comment below. Like, subscribe, hit the bell notification. Share this with anyone yeah. you think would find this beneficial on how to pray about vocation in that like manner. And if you have, uh, we'll close out with a Ave in a second. But well, you something else? Adrian will leave the website to the hermits in the description. Yeah, I'll leave a website. I'll leave anything that Colton wants me to put in the description will be there in the description. So book recommendations, uh, website to the Carmel, anything else that he mentioned. So make sure to read the description of this episode. But let's pray, close out in an Ave. Mm-hmm. In name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in order mortis nostri. Amen. St. Teresa of Avila. Pray for us. St. Elias. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Shout out to Father Luis. If you check your text messages six weeks from now. (laughs) 
you'll see that we did a video. Yeah, that that got on. That will be in the podcast now. It's in. It's, it's on recording. <laughs> All righty. Praise be to God. <laughs>